Howdy. So good to be here today. And I want to thank this church for giving me the opportunity to come and uh, your pastor for his kind welcome. And uh, can I just say that when I, I came in here and uh, sat down in that back corner and we were just praying a little bit before church, and I just feel a such a strong spirit of peace in this house. And uh, I know that's because of the people who are here. And God's spirit is here today. And I feel the peace of God here. And I, I had sort of a storm going on in my mind when I came in, but uh, not because my company wasn't good. Brother Graves and Brother Graves, we had a nice little drive over here, but for some reason I was just kind of disquieted in my mind. But when I came in, sat down in here, began to pray, I just felt the peace of God. And I, I want to thank the Lord for his peace today. Amen. The Bible says he has peace that passes all understanding. Amen. Are you thankful for that today? Praise God. Praise God. And just uh, such an honor to be here. I uh, just had the opportunity to even meet your pastor uh, just yesterday and just so kind to, to offer and ask me to come and be here with your church today. And I'm so glad we took him up on that opportunity to come and be here. What a great place to come and worship God. This is so beautiful. And what we're feeling here is so real and alive. Amen. Aren't you thankful to be in a church in this hour, in this day and time that you feel something? Amen. It's real. It's tangible. There's a presence and a power of God. Amen. I want to give honor to Brother Brock and his wife and uh, also to Brother Marcus and his wife. Got a chance to meet them yesterday too. This is probably the first time I ever preached for someone whose last name was my first name. And uh, I have only met probably three people in my life who had the, the same name Brock in their name at all. So this is, a, this is a special time and a special day. Amen. I give God the glory today. And uh, we are thankful to be a part of the multicultural ministries uh, of the United Pentecostal Church. And uh, this is not a new thing, uh, but it's something that the United Pentecostal Church initiated just a little over 20 years ago. And I'm thankful as I consider what's going on in North America today and the, the demographics of, our, of the, this continent are changing and people are uh, coming here from everywhere on the planet. I'm so thankful that our church fellowship is not behind the times on that, but we're ahead of the game. We want to be a church that's for all people from all cultures. And uh, I'm thankful to know that the church that I go to is a church for everybody. Amen. Praise the Lord. And as I look across this congregation, I can see people here from all walks of life and different cultures. And my, that's how we want every church to be. Because you know what? That's how heaven's going to be. Amen. That's what it's going to be like when we make it over there. And you know what? If you don't like too many people down here, you're going to be struggling if you make it over there. I prophesy you won't make it, but if you do... <laughs> good to know that we can love and enjoy people of different cultures. Now, you might be looking at me thinking, why do we have another white guy in charge of multicultural ministry? <laughs> I'm actually half Native American. I'm a registered Lumbee Indian. as uh, an eastern band of Lumbee Indians in North Carolina, and my mother is Caucasian. Uh, but uh, I guess the, the, the key word today, we, we say I identify. I identify Native American. <laughs> But we, uh, we appreciate where God has brought us from, what our culture is, and uh, my brothers and I were raised in the church, a great Christian family, 
And uh, God has been so kind to us through the years. And uh, this past uh, several months being involved in multicultural ministries, I've been involved in it for quite some time, uh, but not as the director or in leadership there. Uh, but it's just exposed me to some opportunities to meet great men like your pastor. And, of course, Bishop Graves was here today. I give him honor as well. And I want to tell you, this church is going to be a part of something great. And your pastor mentioned supporting and being a partner with, with us. This church is going to be a part of something great. It's going to be life-changing. It's going to be world-changing. And you're going to be right involved in that. So give yourself a big round of applause today. Amen. There, there's just a lot of things floating around in my mind that I, I could say or want to say today. And, but I, I just feel a direction from the Lord, and I want to quickly uh, begin to preach. Before I do, this song, I sang it this morning in uh, the church in Gresham. Uh, but this song, even more so this afternoon, uh, goes hand in hand with what I feel the Lord would have me to say here today. And uh, I just appreciate the Lord, and I'm thankful for His sacrifice. I know this is a church that believes in a God that has sacrificed himself for you. And I'm thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And this song talks about what his blood is for. So worship with me as I sing. And uh, let's just worship together and let God minister to us today. Amen. today cause yesterday I followed the desire of my foolish heart into the dark feeling far away need a couple days to work real hard to hit the mark to get myself back and good with you what a waste what a game called That's what the blood is for Clean this dirty man I am Make it possible to stand before you Lord the blood is for it's what his blood is for what if I fall one more time or soon forget that you're the light where I am free in perfect peace and what if I can't get my act together that's what the blood is for to clean this dirty man I am and make it possible to stand before you Lord that's what the blood his blood, it compels me, oh yes, gives me power to my victory, His blood still 
speaking to me. worship him together right now Can someone just clap your hands and lift your voice and thank the Lord for his blood hallelujah 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 praise the Lord praise the Lord I'd like to turn your attention to Genesis chapter 21 and uh, I heard there was food afterwards so let me just hurry on I really feel a direction from the Lord. And I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I really feel like here in the next 25 to 30 minutes that God is going to release somebody from the weight of condemnation, of guilt, and of shame. And there's going to be a restoration that's going to take place right here in this building. Is anybody, would you believe with me in faith? That's what's going to happen. There's going to be a restoration in this place someone is going to go home today feeling so much different than when you came Genesis chapter 21 and verse 9 and the Lord visited Sarah as he had said and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken for Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his own age at the set of time which God had spoken to him and Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him whom Sarah bare to him Isaac. Everyone say Sarah. The scripture says the son that was born unto him from Sarah was Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh. So that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah 
Saul, the son of Hagar, the Egyptian. A different son. Which she had born unto Abraham. Which Hagar had born unto Abraham. The last word of that verse said that the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, was mocking. Amen. The Apostle Paul... He speaks to the Galatian church in Galatians chapter 4. And he is referencing this piece of history that we just read here. And he says in, in that verse, he says, Now we brethren, verse 28, We brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. Can someone just say promise? We are like Isaac. We are we are of promise, amen? Anybody want to receive that right now? We, we're of promise, amen? But he goes on to say, But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. Sarah bare him a son in his old age. He already had a son from another woman named Hagar. And I want to speak to us on this thought. When your miracle and your mistake are living in the same house. Your miracle and your mistake are living in the same house. Let's pray right now because I, let's just really pray. I, I, want to, I believe God wants to just touch somebody here today. Lord. In your precious name, I just pray right now that you would speak, God, that you would move on someone's heart here in this place. I pray that you would do a work here today that, that I cannot do, that you would say things that I cannot say, that you would speak in words from above and words from beyond here today. There's someone here today that's been hurting and carrying a great weight, and I pray in Jesus' name that you would do a work of deliverance in their life today. And everyone said, in Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you clap your hands to the Lord once again while you're being seated. Amen. Each of us here today has a promise from God. You can be seated. You didn't have to earn it. You don't have to be born into the right family. You... Don't have to be a certain culture or skin color. You don't have to have a certain amount of money. Peter said in Acts 2 and 38 that the promise that God has is unto you and to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. We all have a promise today. God has a promise for your family. God has a promise for your life. God has a promise for your situation. Amen. It is my observation from many years of serving God and being in the church that the greatest enemy of our promise many times is the past. In all the years that I've served God, I've never seen anything have a more devastating force to someone's growth in God or their walk with God than the remembrances of things in their history. 
And I've come to tell you today that, that God does not intend for your history to have any effect on your destiny. God does not intend for the past to, to affect the promise and the future that he has for you today. The enemy of your goal has no greater goal. The enemy of your soul has no greater goal than to prevent you from receiving the salvation and the promise that God has for you. So his plan is to emphasize your failure. His plan is to emphasize your loss. His plan is to remind you of yesterday and the past and your failure. But while the enemy of your soul reminds you of the past, God has promised you a future. God has given you a promise. God has a miracle for your life. Amen. And I, I said it before, I'll say it again, and all the miracles that we could see. If we could see blind eyes open, that's an incredible miracle. And when we've seen the lame walk again, that's an incredible miracle. When we see God do supernatural works that the mind can't even explain how it could take place, those are miraculous and supernatural things. But there is no greater miracle than a God from heaven who would shed his blood and die on Calvary and give his life for ours so that when sin was ready to overtake us the miraculous power of God's spirit would come in and take away the wages of that sin from your life and release you into a future amen we live in a life today where we're reminded and we're held captive it's kind of like a story of a little boy named Johnny I don't know if you ever heard about Johnny but Little Johnny was a boy who had a slingshot. And he wasn't a very good shot with the slingshot. He usually missed what he was aiming at. Until that fateful day came when Johnny spied his grandmother's favorite pet duck just walking through the backyard. And Johnny said, in his mind, he thought, I'm just going to try. I probably won't hit it, but let me just try. So he drew back on that slingshot, and as he focused his aim, on that day he was cursed with 100% accuracy. Not only did he hit the duck, but he killed it. See, I'm from North Carolina, and sometimes we say, kilt it. That's, that's, that's worse than killed it. Kilt it. That duck fell down graveyard dead. Wasn't nothing left to do but to cry. Johnny ran over to that favorite pet duck of his grandmother. Quick as lightning, he scooped that duck up. He ran over behind the wood pile. He got down behind it. He started burying that duck under, under brush and debris and, and blocks of wood. You'd have to burn enough wood for three winters in Oregon to find that duck after he was done. And he came up from hiding the evidence. He, he stepped up, looked up behind the wood pile. He looked to the left, and the coast was clear. Whew. But when he looked to the right, there she was, a demon from hell, his sister Sally. Some of y'all got a same sister named Sally, huh? <laughs> when he looked into Sally's eyes, he knew that this bad day just got worse. Because Sally's not the one to let things like this go. But Sally didn't say anything. She just looked at him. And kind of shook her head, and Johnny went on the house, and the day began to progress, and then dinner time came, and they ate a nice meal, and 
They got finished eating, and Grandma got up from the table, and she said, Sally, won't you come over here and help me do these dishes? And Sally said, you know, Grandma, I believe I heard Johnny say that he'd like to do all the dishes tonight. And old little Johnny, he said, oh, oh no, I did not. <laughs> he was shaking his head, and he was looking at Sally. Girl, you must be crazy. You done lost your whole mind. I'm not washing no dishes. That's women's work, and I'm not doing that. Mm, only the men laughed on that. The men sitting close to their wives didn't even laugh. You knew better. That's a little, just a little joke right there. I don't really believe that. I wash dishes all the time. Johnny had a decision to make. He looked at Sally and said, I'm not doing no dishes. And she walked right over to him. She kind of came around that table, got right over to him and leaned down close to his ear and said, uh, remember the duck <laughs> she might as well have had a megaphone because those three words it, it pierced old little Johnny's heart like lightning and he got up from that table and he did what any young man in his position would do he went over and done those dishes <laughs> Johnny was telling himself this is a small price to pay for not getting found out for killing grandma's duck until the following night he found himself volunteering to wash the dishes again and then a third night came and he's washing the dishes again and a week went by and every night he's over there brother graves just washing dishes and the week started to mount up and johnny began to fall into a desperate state of mind and there one night he was there elbow deep in that dishwater began to weep he's beginning to weep in those dishes and he felt an arm slide around his shoulder, and he looked, and there was Grandma. Nobody liked Grandma. And she said, Johnny, why are you crying, baby? Johnny said, Grandma, I got a confession to make. You know how we hadn't been able to find your favorite duck? She said, yeah, I've been wondering about that, Johnny. She said, well, Granny, I got to tell you, I killed your duck. I hit it with my slingshot. I I didn't think I would, but I did, and I killed it, and I tried to bury it, and I've been trying to hide it from you, and, and Sally had been making me do these dishes so you won't find out, and Granny said, well, Johnny, I know you killed my duck. <laughs> and he said, you know? She said, oh, yeah, I was, uh, I was standing right here in this, at this sink looking out the back window when I saw you shoot my duck with, you, with a slingshot. Johnny, I knew it all along. She said, Johnny, I just wanted to see how long you were going to let Sally make a slave out of you. <laughs> see, sometimes we're, we're just like that little boy named Johnny. We've been pardoned for our crime. We've been released from our sin. But we're listening to the voice of an accuser. We're listening to the voice of one who is reminding us of the things of the past. We're listening to somebody who's bringing things up over and over again. There's, there's voices that are speaking to us from the history and yesterday. And I've come to tell somebody here today, it's time to stop listening to that voice. It's time to stop listening to the feelings and the emotions of yesterday. It's not the plan of the enemy to ever allow you to escape your past.
It's not the, the strategy of the enemy of your soul to ever allow you to forget the things that you have done. And if you will follow Satan's plan for your life, what you will do is you'll drag around the ball and chain of guilt and shame for the rest of your life until you die, until you go to hell. But I've come to tell you, we serve a God today who has forgiven you of sin. And the Bible says that he is good and he is ready to forgive you and that he is plenteous in mercy. That same Bible says in 1 John that if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. The Bible says his mercies are made new every morning. I've come to tell you, I don't, I don't care what the enemy has told you. God wants to heal your heart and he wants to forgive you and he wants to release you from the struggle of guilt and from the weight of shame and the pain of yesterday. Praise God. And even as I say that, I know it's not that easy to do, is it? Not that easy just to forget about what we've done. Paul wrote to the Roman church and he, he makes a, a bold declaration. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And, and if you're familiar with that verse, this is one of those verses in Scripture that kind of pump you up, you know? Whoo! You feel invincible after reading this verse. Because he goes on to say, shall tribulation separate you? Shall, shall distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or swords? Or, shall those things separate us from the love of Christ? And he goes on a few verses later to say, I am persuaded. He's talking to that Roman church. And he, he's even speaking to us through the ages. And he's saying, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate you. Separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And usually when we read that, we get filled with a sense of, oh, I can do this. And Paul's absolutely right. He covers it all, doesn't he? Well, almost everything. Because he said the things that are present can't separate us. And things to come can't separate us. But you know, Paul doesn't mention the past. He mentions a lot of things that are powerful. But he doesn't mention the past. Because in all the things that can separate us, that cannot separate us from the love of God, sometimes we can allow our past. It's not God allowing it, but we can allow our past to rise up and, and wag its finger in our face and point at us again and say, you know, you know you shouldn't have done what you did, but you did it. You remember what you've done. You remember who you were, what you came out of. And we're reminded over and over again. And that past can disconnect us. That past can cause us to isolate from the, the body of Christ and other church family members. That past can cause us to distance to the point where we can't even hear God's voice anymore because we're reminded of the past. And our, our history has welled up in our eyes. And here we are when we should be happy, when we should be full of joy, when we should be remembering the day that God filled us with his spirit, when we should be at church Rejoicing and feeling the love of God, we're being reminded. And that's what happened to Abraham and Sarah. 
Because Abraham and Sarah, they had a miracle from God. You know, I, you know, you read it yourself. I mean, Abraham was 100 years old when his boy was born. And Sarah, she wasn't that much younger. They were a long time past the age where they should have been having children. But God supernaturally gave them a miracle. God intervened and worked a miracle in their lives. They didn't deserve it. They didn't earn it. They couldn't have worked to receive it. And God has a promise for our lives today. He, he has a miracle for us here today. It's, it's favor that he has promised. It's blessing he's promised. It's outpouring. But I can tell you, we don't deserve it. We can't ever earn it. We can never accomplish anything that will make us worthy of it. It's just something that comes from God. Abraham and Sarah, they, they just had a blessing and a miracle from God. And, you know, I can just imagine, you know, visualizing the, the home camp. And, you know, they got the, the tent that they live in over here. But, you know, you wouldn't have the labor and delivery room right there. They maybe got that on the other side of the camp. So they're over there in the labor and delivery tent, and, and Sarah's about to have that baby, and finally this little boy is born. And when he comes out and Sarah holds that baby for the first time, she does what many of you did. You just started smiling. Whew. My wife and I, we got four kids, and I'm telling you, the day that each one of them was born was some of the happiest days of my life. Just looking into their faces for the first time and seeing their personality, and they all look like me. <clears throat> oh, you couldn't even convince anybody that my wife had anything to do with it, and she did all the work. They looked just like me. And when I look at those little boys, I can show you a picture of my baby. He's seven months right now. And when I look at that little boy, it, every time, I smile. No matter how tough a day I'm having, when I see him, I smile. And you understand that, don't you? Some, some of your kids are even grown older and you still smile when you think of them. Something about that. And when Isaac was born, before they named him, they smiled. Before they named him, they laughed. And, and because they were laughing and smiling and there was a, a joy that came into their lives, Sarah said, I'm naming him. I'm naming him Isaac because God has made me to laugh. And he's made me to laugh in such a way that it causes everybody else to laugh. That's the kind of miracle that God wants to give us today. That's the kind of promise that God, he, he wants to bring something new and something special. He wants to birth something in our lives that it brings joy. Hallelujah. The Bible says joy unspeakable and full of glory. The Bible calls it a peace that passes all understanding. God wants to birth something in this congregation, to birth something here in your personal life that's just going to make you smile. It's going to make you feel lighter than a feather. It's when you come down to an altar and you repent of your sins and God forgives you, a miracle is taking place, you're going to rise with the weight of the world lifting off of your shoulders because it's a miracle from God that's going to bring you joy. Yeah. Praise God. Yeah. They bundled that baby boy up, Isaac. They laughed all the way through the nature trail to the other side of the, of the Ponderosa. And they came into that other tent where they lived at. And they walked in the door and they were just laughing and just cutting up and having a good time. They come in there bringing him to that, their house for the first time and they stepped in and all of a sudden their eyes locked with the eyes of another little boy. <clears throat> and when they saw that boy 
the laughing stopped. When they saw that boy, their smiles faded away. Because there was something about that boy. Something about him that reminded them of a mistake that they made. Because that boy's name was Ishmael. And Ishmael was a product of a decision that they made when they failed to trust in God. Ishmael was a product of a decision that they made when they got tired of waiting on God. When they felt like we can, we can figure out a way to do this ourselves. God made us a promise and he's not fulfilled us. Maybe, maybe, we can, maybe we can go another way. Maybe we can try something different. And maybe we could try to get what we want from God on our own terms. And when they looked at Ishmael, they were reminded once and ever again that we made a mistake here. We, we did the wrong thing because in a moment of weakness, if you'll read the story, Sarah said to Abraham, she said, Abraham, this is not working out I'm not having this baby that God promised maybe it's me I don't know what the deal is but why don't you go and marry my servant girl my slave girl Hagar the Egyptian why don't you marry her and have a child with her and then we'll raise it as our own and maybe that's the way it'll come together and Abraham prayed and fasted about that for three years and he found no that's not what happened We don't find any indication that Abraham negotiated or backed out or thought about it. He said, okay. Here Abraham finds himself a called man of God, friend of God, going to be the father of many nations, got a covenant with God Almighty, the only man ever had one up to this point. And he marries, he joins himself to a slave. You see there, each one of us We've got a missing piece in our life. You know, God created us with a missing piece. And it doesn't matter what you accomplish or you achieve or all the accolades that could ever be said about you. There's something missing in your life. And that missing piece is the piece that God is supposed to feel. And you'll never be happy until he's in your heart. You'll never be complete until he's in your heart. But what we do when we don't understand how to reach God, we try to fill that missing piece with other stuff. We try it with relationships sometimes. And we try it with, with drugs and alcohol sometimes. We try it with the, the things of the world sometimes. We, we try it with all the, 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 the things of this life. We, we, fit, we try to fill ourselves up with things that don't complete us, but they end up leaving us in bondage. Anything that you put in your life that makes a slave out of you isn't the will of God. Anything that you put in your life that caused you to become addicted isn't the will of God. And that's what it was for Abraham and Sarah. They made a decision, they made a choice that caused them to become bound because that's what happens when you play around with the sin of this life. You get bound to it. And I'm not speaking a word of condemnation to you today. I'm telling you, we have something in the Lord. What God is offering us is a way to complete what he has made in us, to to have that sense of completion in our life with no hangover, with with no regrets, with, with no going back and saying, I 
wish I hadn't done this. Can I tell you, when you come down to this altar and repent of your sins, you're never going to walk out that door saying, oh, I just wish I hadn't had my sins forgiven. I just wish I didn't feel so light right now. I, I just wish I didn't feel so free right now. But you know when, when God touches your life and he, he comes in and you feel his forgiveness sweeping over you, let me tell you, it's going to be a great day in your life. Some of you have experienced it. You know what I'm talking about. You remember how God continuously comes in your life and he refreshes your soul and he renews your spirit. Friend of mine, there's nothing like it. In my study, I find that Ishmael was probably 14 years old when Isaac was born. And if Abraham had done what Sarah wanted him to do, from the day that verse 9 of that Genesis 27 we read, or 21, Abraham would have took him and got rid of him right then. But that's not what he did. In my study, I find that it was somewhere in the neighborhood of three years' time that Ishmael and Isaac lived in the same house. For roughly three years' time, Abraham and Sarah spent every day trying to have joy with the miracle that God had given them. At the same time, trying to cope with the mistake that they had made. When they saw Isaac the miracle, they saw Ishmael the mistake. When they saw Isaac, the promise of God, they, they saw Ishmael, the problem that they made and that they created. For three years' time, it was hectic. For three years' time, it was disaster. For three years' time, it was tension and stress. And they couldn't connect the way they wanted to. And something was off in their household. And I believe here today that's where some of us are here right now. Because God has given you a miracle. He's given you a promise. But somehow, we have forgotten how to let go of those things from the past. And God's here to speak to somebody's life. And He wants to speak to you from the Scripture today. He wants you to remind you you of the power of his blood he wants to remind you of the power of his forgiveness he wants to remind you that when he forgave you of his your sin the bible declares that he has cast it from his own memory when i was a little boy my granddad taught me something about the lord the scripture says that in psalms 103 as high as the heaven is above the earth so great is his mercy Toward them that fear him. And then it says in verse 12 of Psalms 103. As far as the east is from the west. So far hath he removed our transgressions from us. And my grandfather he told me he said Brock. He said the Lord was specific. Because he said east from west. He didn't say north from south. And I said well Papa what's that mean? He said well if you look at a globe. Think about our planet. He said, if you start traveling north, there will come a point when you're traveling south. There's a line of demarcation there where you, your direction has physically changed. If you start traveling south, eventually you're going north again. He said, but if you go east, you're always going east. 
If you go west, you're always going west. It's just a, it's the same direction. And what the Lord has is a word for your life today is he took your sin and he reached in your life. He forgave you of it and he pulled it out of you and he has cast it away. Your transgressions, they're going away from you. They're always going the same direction. They're not coming back on you. God has given you a promise today that he's pushing it away from you. He's spreading it away from you. I've come to tell somebody here today, it's a day for restoration. It's a day to get the house cleaned up. It's a day to get the house put in order because the miracle has shared its space with the mistake for too long. So Abraham didn't know what to do. The Bible says the matter grieved him. And I close the day with this thought. The Bible said that, that he grieved about it and he went to the Lord in prayer. You'll have to read further down in Genesis 21 to see this. But the Lord begins to speak to Abraham. Abraham saying, God, what should I do? I've got this situation here. And God, God says, don't be grieved over this because Isaac is the future. Abraham hesitated about letting go of Israel. Israel, but God spoke to him and God reminded him and, and Paul writes about it in Galatians 4 and verse 30 nevertheless what saith the scripture cast out the bondwoman and her son for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman brethren we are not children of the bondwoman we are children of the free woman the Lord begins to speak to Abraham he says Abraham Isaac is the promise Isaac is the future Isaac is the path to follow. He said, it's time to get Ishmael out of your house. It's time to get Ishmael out of your life. And I know it seems harsh today. And it wasn't an easy matter because Abraham grieved over it for some three years of time. And that's why I said earlier, it's easier said than done. Because see, when Abraham looked at Ishmael, it wasn't a problem that Ishmael created, was it? Ishmael was Abraham's problem. Ishmael was Abraham's fault. And that's how it is with our past sometimes. It's hard for us to let it go because we caused it. We created that problem. It wasn't a mistake that God made. It was our mistake. And many times it wasn't somebody else told someone recently that the lies that people tell about me don't bother me like the true stuff does See, it's the true things about myself that cause me to struggle it's the true things about myself that cause me sometimes to lay in bed at night and look up at the ceiling and wonder how I'll be ever to make it through because the truth hurts sometimes. And every time Abraham felt like he should do something about this Ishmael, he looked in his eyes, Brother Brock, and he said, that's my problem. 